You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome back to the NIL Hotline, Galen Clavio here. It's Monday, April 24th of the year 2023. Good to be back with you folks after a pretty cool weekend here in Bloomington, Indiana, where I live and record this show as we had the world's greatest college weekend, the Little 500, the men's and women's races, 35th running of the women's race this year, uh, which is pretty awesome uh, just all the way around. That that race has, has continued to get better throughout the years. And then, of course, the 72nd running of the men's race. So uh, if you get a chance and you're out and about and you want to experience something unique in college athletics, you should definitely try to come to Bloomington at some point and check it out for yourself. Uh, Just me today on the podcast, and we're going to do a quick kind of wraparound of a couple of different news items that are worth mentioning. Uh, Olivia will be back a little bit later on in the week as we'll go back to our normal format. At that point, we've been getting some tech issues cleared out there, and so we should be good to go. Uh, But wanted to talk about a couple of things today as ultimately NIL just continues to steamroll a lot of what's going on in the college landscape right now, both in terms of planning and in terms of Looking back at what occurred this past year, we're in the middle of basketball transfer portal season. Football transfer portal's back up and running again, so it's playing a role there as well. What I wanted to focus on today were a couple of news items that were noted uh, last week that I think are worth talking about because they help to paint kind of a broader and more accurate picture at the same time of what kind of money we're talking about, where that money is going or where it can go because i feel like to some degree a lot of the name image and likeness coverage in the press that most people are following and this is where you're you know talking about the espns and uh or or even more broad and less sports focused than that like when nil pops up in on you know on like cnn or on your local newspaper or television station it's always like the attention grabbing you know kind of man bites dog sorts of things as opposed to the nuts and bolts of how the industry is actually rolling so there was a piece that was originally uh looked at uh in i think it was amanda Kristovich from front office sports which i highly recommend you subscribe to front office sports it's, it's a really good newsletter for a lot of different things in sports business not just college sports uh but there was a piece uh, this came about i think about nine ten days ago looking at brand appeal as it related to college athletics and in places that you might not think. Uh, You know, one thing that I'll talk about in just a second has to do with women's basketball and the tremendous potential that exists there that's somewhat being realized already in terms of the finances that are out there. But it's also non-traditional revenue-generating sports. Uh, You know, sometimes they're called just non-revenue sports. Sometimes they're called Olympic sports. Uh, but you know this piece from Amanda talks about how Olivia Dunn, who was of course the gymnast at Louisiana State University, was projected by On Three Sports as having a, an annual earnings potential of 3.5 million dollars per year, which is more than any other women's sport athlete, third overall among high school or college athletes. And the the piece notes that there are other olympic sports team sorry apple watch deciding to jump in on the action there but there's other olympic athletes in college sports 
who are also starting to see their earnings potential go up. So Sunisa Lee from Auburn, uh, who won the all-around gold medal at the uh, the Tokyo Olympics in 2020, had an earnings potential of $1.4 million. Uh, Jade Carey and Grace McCollum from Oregon State and Utah, respectively, both had earnings potentials uh, between about $200,000 and $250,000. And then Jordan Childs from UCLA had almost $400,000 in earning potential. And you pair that with the amount of money that is being generated both uh, both in terms of potential earnings and actual earnings by women's college basketball players. And you start to see a bit of a trend here that I think has the potential to continue. So a uh, piece by Andy Wittry that came out a few days ago, friend of the pod, Andy Wittry, uh, on On3 Sports, uh, which I'll link in the, in the, in the, uh, the write-up for the podcast here. Campus Inc., which is uh, the company that you know, put custom apparel items together in an NIL store that where you could buy NIL items related to individual athletes. Uh, Angel Reese, the LSU forward, who, of course, with her team, won the national women's basketball title this year. Uh, and uh, Floje Johnson was fourth on that list. Angel Reese was first. And, you know, you look at the top 10 overall in terms of NIL store top earners, and there were five women along with five men. And, you know, we're talking about, to some degree, among the most successful and, you know, like high-profile men's basketball players right alongside the women. So you look at this list, which was tweeted out by the NIL store, and the top 10 is Angel Reese from LSU, Zach Eady from Purdue, uh, Nika Mule from UConn, Johnson from LSU, who I mentioned, Trace Jackson Davis, the men's basketball player from Indiana, Lamont Butler, whose San Diego State team went to the national title game on the men's side, Donovan Klingen, who was on the UConn team that won the national title, Grace Berger from Indiana uh, on that women's team uh, this year that, that was the number one seed, Jalen Huchifino from Indiana on the men's side, and then Elizabeth Kitley from Virginia Tech, whose team went to the Final Four as well this year. So, you look at all of that, and oh, I want to come back to the Indiana piece in a second for, for selfish reasons, but um, what's fascinating to me is on the women's side, both in terms of how the earnings potential for the Olympic sports and specifically the Olympians in college sports, as well as women's basketball earnings potential through NIL, like why why we see so much money in that mix. And a lot of it really comes down to something that I talk about a lot in my classes, which is that you know, college sports in the United States is professional sports and would be considered professional sport basically anywhere else in the world because of what it does and because of who's involved and because of the financial elements that are there. And as much as you'll hear people in the collegiate landscape, particularly on the academic side, claim, well, this is actually an academic pursuit. Uh, you know, realistically speaking, it is run like a business. And there is a tremendous amount of brand equity and brand value in the individual athletes, particularly in women's sports, because there's this weird marriage of the existing brand value of a place like LSU or a place like Indiana or a place like UConn um, on the women's sports side that isn't necessarily matched by the amount of money that the teams themselves are able to generate in the broader media marketplace. And that is something that NIL is unlocking, but in 
kind of a reverse way from what you might expect. You know, Trace Jackson Davis or Zach Eady, I mean, you know, they play for Indiana, Purdue on the men's side. There's a tremendous amount of money in the pipeline already on the men's side in, in college basketball. And you, you're not that surprised, you know, because you think about Indiana or Purdue and the amount of money they generate through, uh, you know, either indirectly or directly through ticket revenue and donations and regular merchandise sales that are already capitalized, the amount of money that they indirectly generate by being a part of the Big Ten that money's already baked in. So it's not really that much of a surprise to see those players in that spot. But when you see top-level athletes who have a bit of their own brand appeal and they stick out so much because the teams that they're associated with at the collegiate level on the women's side haven't really been given the opportunity to properly capitalize over the course of time, their brand value, the athletes being able to collect and, and earn off of that is a really fascinating phenomenon. And I think that you know, ultimately, you can have really successful Olympic sports programs, you know, like gymnastics, for instance, at particular schools, and they can do well. But it's generally, it's very isolated when it does happen, and the popularity does not always carry over into the things that really make you money in college sports, which are almost all tied to media directly. I mean, what separates men's basketball and football from the rest of the sports in the Big Ten is the fact that those two sports drive so much traffic, they drive so many eyeballs, they you know, they essentially guarantee a certain level of attendance. On the women's side, even when you start to see that happening, you know, so much of what you see in terms of women's media rights as far as the the individual you know teams are concerned, they're very much relegated to a secondary or tertiary level. I mean you might now start to see, for instance, women's gymnastics in the SEC. Maybe you'll get a, a weekend where they'll pop up on ABC. You start to see it thing with things like softball right now, where NCAA softball has started to get a little bit of a broader profile, but it still lags behind. And, and like women's basketball is a great example where you'll now see more women's basketball games on, say, Big Ten Network or SEC Network, but they're just not they haven't up to this point been considered that important to the inventory. So the money has almost been looking for a place to go with these programs that are particularly successful. And, and I think to watch the market react in a way where you've got Angel Reese or you've got Grace Berger who are able to capitalize to a degree is, is really interesting because that I think can be grown. I don't know in the next 10 years if you really be able to see a lot of these individual women's basketball programs get all the way up to the valuation level that they probably actually have because it requires a complete rethinking of how all of these media rights have been sold over time. There's been some discussion about splitting the women's basketball tournament contract off from the men's basketball tournament, which sounds great in theory, but the there are some pitfalls there, not the least of which is you know, the NCAA has sold those championships essentially as bulk media rights for a while. Untangling the women's basketball tournament might end actually end up making it slightly less lucrative than if you continue to sell it as a core, like, collection of items. There, There is some value still in the marketplace in bundling those items if you are uh, the, the, the organization that's trying to sell the rights. And so I don't think that we'll see a lot change in terms of the amount of money that the programs are able to generate and the fact that nil is now allowing 
these individual star players and star athletes to get in on a little bit of that valuation because of the way that these deals are set up, I think is is really good because it shows you that if you come in with some hype or if you're able to develop that hype over the first couple of years, you can really cash in. The other th- and so you know one of the things about the uh, the NIL store that Andy writes up is is that um, athletes that partner with Campus Inc. on this NIL store earn between eight dollars and fifteen dollars per item sold. Which, you know, I mean, you could do the math yourself. I mean, that's uh, you know, you you sell a thousand shirts, that's eight grand in your pocket that you didn't have before, and. In some cases, I think particularly with a player like Angel Reese or a player like Zach Eady, you could potentially be talking about a nationwide marketplace as opposed to something that is just tied into the geographical area uh, or the alumni base of the of the team that you're playing for. And I think that's interesting. The other thing about Andy's piece that's really fascinating is that you know you've got two players on that list Zach Eady from Purdue who's Canadian and then uh Nika Mule from Yukon who's from Croatia um there's there's a lot of issues that we'll talk about more in depth on this podcast involving the challenges that international athletes have we talked about one of those issues I think in our first episode where we were talking about um you know one of the athletes on Yukon's men's basketball team going to the Bahamas and shooting an an, an NIL related ad because visa restrictions for students in the united states from overseas don't allow them to earn money on these things in the u.s in this case apparently um since you know the the players didn't do any direct promotion in fact they were restricted from doing promotion they never had to leave the country to engage in the opportunities um you know and, and so i think that that's it's interesting because they're able to generate some money um you know, and and they also noted that there was some teamwork involved, um, where like Paige Buchers ends up retweeting Campus Inc. apparel on behalf of her teammates, and that ends up benefiting the teammates that are international because they can't they can't get involved directly in promoting it, and so there's a lot of little eddies and currents with all of this that kind of play into things, and I, and I do think eventually we will almost certainly because this is so high profile see some kind of a change in international rules around athletes in particular and what they can and can't do uh because honestly it's one of those things now where in several sports even more so i think in some of the the traditionally non-revenue sports like men's soccer you see this huge influx of international athletes who are very very good who are competing for spots they're getting scholarship opportunities we saw you know marshall university won a men's soccer title a couple of years ago with a predominantly international roster you're going to see more of that and there will be somebody that argues in congress or at the ncaa level that to not allow international students to directly participate in that and earn money off of it is just kind of fundamentally unfair and certainly strikes at the heart of some of the tensions present in the university system right now in the united states where you know you you have to bring in international students for a variety of reasons not the least of which is financial if you're an institution and yet we're making those students essentially play by entirely different rules uh that i think is something that'll be addressed so anyway i would check out andy's story more in depth i gave you a little bit of a a, uh, an overview of what it is but it's some really fascinating stuff and i think it's really interesting that you've got 
so many athletes on the women's side able to capitalize and and frankly a lot of that really does come down to the lack of valuation matching where it actually is at right now in the marketplace and the fact that those wheels are probably going to turn very slowly the nil wheels for these individual athletes are going to turn a lot faster and i think that's great for the athletes and maybe it ends up helping to spur the system along a little bit to help change things on the broader scale to help the valuations actually turn into money on the women's side because there's clearly if you watch the women's tournament this year in basketball if you watch the reactions that we've seen uh to for instance olivia dunn as an lsu gymnast there is more money out there and there's more interest and there's more valuation than is being shown right now in the contracts that have been signed that's actually you know where the money's being generated or not as the case may be with some of these conferences and some of these individual schools anyway that'll wrap it up for us on this edition of the nil hotline be sure to subscribe like tell your friends if this is something that's of interest to you we'll have more content coming up later this week olivia will be back we'll talk about some items that are of interest to us we'll also have some contact info that we'll pass along to you if you'd like to write in with questions comments whatever about the show i'm galen claudio this is the nil hotline we'll catch you folks on the flip side so long everybody